Before we get going with today's podcast, I just want to jump on here for a second and personally invite you to a one-off brand new masterclass that I am hosting on Thursday the 16th of May. How to scale your online business to six figures and beyond. So if you are a course creator, a membership owner or a coach, then this is for you. I'm sharing with you my most effective strategies to become the go-to person in your industry and grow your online business. I will cover how to build your audience, how to craft an irresistible offer and how to master your launch strategy so that you will know the most effective way to grow your audience and build your email list fast, know how to craft an offer that your audience will love and create a launch that fits with you and enables you to sell with ease. And why should you come and listen to me? Well, I started doing this almost 10 years ago and the very first client I worked with back in 2016, I helped him launch his very first membership. He had a done for you product and a one-to-one product and we created a membership. In his first launch, he got 130 members, bringing him in about 60,000 in income every year. Now, He has built a suite of online products that is bringing him in way over six figures every single year. This is going to be an awesome masterclass. You're going to get so much good stuff to take away with you to be able to use in your business. So to grab your free place, go to TeresaHeathWearing.com forward slash masterclass and I will see you there. You are listening to the Marketing That Converts podcast episode 95. You are listening to the Marketing That Converts podcast and I'm your host, Teresa Heathwaring. If you're a marketer, business owner or entrepreneur that is frustrated and overwhelmed with all the constant changes in digital marketing and social media, then you, my friend, are in the right place. Each week, I share with you easy, insightful and actionable steps that you can use to grow your business. So let's get started. Hello and a really warm welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. How are you doing? We are really close to Christmas now. So I should imagine if you are listening to this before Christmas, you are amidst of cards and present wrapping and decorations and all that sort of thing. Now, as I record this, it's actually still the end of November. So I actually don't know whether I'll be doing that myself. I have to say that my husband and I joke that if we didn't have children, we would quite happily not have Christmas which sounds really mean. And actually, one thing that is really interesting, prior to me having my own business, I loved things like Christmases and birthdays and having dinner parties and doing all these lovely things. But you know what happens? And it is a little bit sad. And I do feel a little bit sad about it. But what happens is you have your own business. And honestly, like my brain never stops thinking about the business, working on the business, doing things, thinking I need to check this, do that. And sometimes it just doesn't feel like it has any more space for anything else. So in all honesty, I find it much harder now to do things like Christmases and birthdays and plan them as well as I would want to, because I'm one of those people who loves that sort of stuff. And like, I much prefer, I deal with other people's birthdays and giving to other people at Christmas much better than myself, which is really weird. Are you like that? Like, I don't like my birthday so much. I much prefer to plan someone else's. So, and I used to be really good at it and I used to make cards and I used to throw parties and I used to do really cool, thoughtful stuff. And, you know, I would love to do that more. And maybe one day when the business is lots 
bigger and I can afford a bigger team that can do things more for me. My team is amazing as they are, by the way, but, you know, obviously I would have them do way more if there was no budget constraints. So yeah, maybe one day that'll come back and I can start throwing dinner parties again. But, um, but at the moment, like I said, apart from having the children, we would quite happily have have no Christmas this year. The other thing I should say is obviously, as you well know, if you've been listening to the podcast, I have a stepson and then obviously I have my daughter and she spends one week with me, one week with her dad and we have to take it in turns. So Christmas is one year she stays with me and she's here Christmas day and wakes up on Christmas day here. And then in the other year, she obviously does that at her dad's. So it is actually that this year. She's at her dad's on Christmas day herself so she doesn't get here till Boxing Day. So we will actually have a very quiet and a non-eventful Christmas day, but then Boxing Day will be our Christmas day. So there we go. Just give you a backstory on my Christmas, because <laughs> I'm sure you absolutely needed to know that. Anyway, this week I'm doing another interview because I have been really good and I've batched so many interviews recently that actually I thought I would do two in a row and I wanted to do the solo ones over the Christmas period, just in case you don't get a chance to hear them, mainly because I feel bad. Like if you've come onto my podcast and I'm not even sure this actually happens all the time, but of course, Christmas and New Year, I have seen a dip in the past in terms of downloads because people are busy. They're out of their routine. I guess if you listen to this when you're on the way to the office or if you do a morning routine or go for a walk or whatever, Obviously, if you're not doing that on Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve, which are the two days the podcast comes out this year, then that person's going to miss out if I've done an interview. So that's why I've chose to do solo episodes for those two, because you can listen to me every single week. So I'm not offended if you miss that week, maybe. And obviously you might listen later as well. So that's fine. So anyway, I'm going to do an interview this week. This week, we have got the very lovely Jill Vanslaw. I'm hoping I said that right again. It is Vanslaw. Yep. And she has been in marketing for 12 years and she works for Aweber. She is head of content marketing, but she has done lots of other things. And she's been published by some of the world renowned brands like Men's Health Magazine, Women's Health Magazine and National Geographic Society. But if you don't know, Aweber is a online platform that you can use to send emails And as you know, I've talked lots of times about systems that I use. I don't use Aweber. And I have to say, because I get approached for people to come on the podcast, which is super cool, actually, because it opens up people to me that I've never seen before. I might not know. I might not have thought they would want to come on. And it just kind of gives me a bit of variety. And I'm really strict. I've had lots of requests for people to come on that don't fit with my audience, don't fit with you guys listening And I really hope that people I do bring on do fit with you and therefore it's interesting and it helps you. So when I was approached about Jill, she wanted to talk about email marketing and what she can do on them and and advice around coming up with ideas for sending out emails and that sort of thing. I was like, perfect, perfect, perfect. However, I don't use Aweber. So I was really keen to make sure that when we do this episode, it was really focused on the content not necessarily platform. And she was great. She was absolutely brilliant. Perfect. Obviously, Aweber is used by lots and lots of people. It's a very, very good platform. It just is one that I haven't used. So I will link up to not only Jill in the show notes, as always, I put all their links in there, but I will also link up to Aweber so that you can have a look at that if that's something that you think you might be interested in. So like I said, this episode is all about email. It's about how you should collect email, why you should collect email, why you should send emails, 
And then what should you be sending them? And that for me is the question I get asked a lot because it's all well and good you perhaps saving emails and collecting emails, but if you don't actually email them, they're not going to be very warm when you do get around to emailing them. And normally people only then email when they're trying to sell something or they need something. So it's all about how can you email them ongoing and going forward and what should you put in those emails? So we talk about that. We talk about onboarding as well in terms of when you do get someone onto the email under email list, how do you onboard them? What do you do? What kind of emails do you send them so that they get a feel who you are and then you get to kind of have a conversation with them? And then some tips around writing your email, how you write it when you're writing it for one person. So I really enjoyed talking about this, really enjoyed sharing my experiences with email as well. So hopefully this should be a really, really useful one for you. And if you are looking to build your email list and you haven't yet started, please do so quick side point there, but you can get a free download that is five ways to build your email list that lots of people forget about. Some simple, easy things that you can do. So you can head over to TeresaHeathWaring.com forward slash list building and you'll be able to get that there. And there's a download and like I said, some five ideas there. Anyway, I will shut up talking and I will let you carry on. Listen to today's interview with the lovely Jill. Here we go. Okay, it gives me so much pleasure today to welcome the very lovely Jill Fanslaw to the podcast. Jill, welcome. Thanks so much, Teresa. I'm super excited to be here. Oh, do you know what? I'm really excited to be here because I'm really excited to be here. I'm always here. I mean, I'm really (laughs) excited for you to be here. Oh, it's been a long week and it's only Wednesday, so we're in trouble. Um, This is a great way to kick this off. I love it. (laughs) Always, always. It's like, and you know what happens? This is now going off curveball. I, ne- I hardly ever edit these things out. So my audience is more than uh, accustomed to hearing me go wrong and fixing it all live in the podcast. So I'm sure they won't it's mind. Yeah, it's, it's very authentic. authentic. If we anything, do not practice. Yeah. yeah, if anything, I am authentic. So, <laughs> so no, but I am super excited to have you here because we're talking about something that I really love to talk about and is a little bit old school in marketing sense, but we're talking about emails. And it's actually a question that I get all the time in my academy about how do we get better open rates? How do we structure an email? What do I say to them every week? How often should I email them? How often should I, you know, do all these things? There's so many great questions that we're going to address. And you guys are, you know, and you are really the expert on this. So I'm really, really excited. But Jill, just so my audience can have an understanding, can you just briefly tell them who you are and how you got to do what you're doing today? Oh yeah, no problem. Yeah. I'm super excited to talk about email. You know, as you said, it's such an old school marketing tactic, but yet people are still learning new things every day about it. And it's changing at a faster pace than I think it's ever changed before. So I'm really excited to dive into that, but yeah, just some background on me. So I got started in print journalism And I got started right around the time that newspapers were declared dead. You know, they were seen. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) It was great. Yeah. I was like, great. I'm glad I spent all this money on my education and coming out to, you know, a horrible job field. Um, You know, I think there was like a 20 plus percent drop in newspaper ad revenue the year that I graduated. Um, (laughs) Nothing to do with you, obviously. (laughs) Nothing to do with me (laughs) now. But yeah, so I was really lucky and actually got a job at the National Geographic Society, was still able to go into journalism, 
um, which I think has given me a really great background in how to create content for people and do so in a really service-filled way, giving people actionable tips, expert advice, um, statistics, research, data, and implementing that into marketing material. So I started out National Geographic, quickly saw the writing on the wall that magazines and newspapers weren't going anywhere anytime soon. Um, And I pivoted and went to digital marketing, digital journalism, um, got my degree at night for that in grad school, and then hopped over to Men's Health Magazine, started out as a senior editor. And one day my boss said to me, he's my mentor as well. He goes, you know, what is it that you want to do at Men's Health? Like, what's your dream job? And I was like, fitness editor. And he looks at me, he's like, okay. And I'm like, I know it's impossible. I'm a female. This is men's health. I can't be the fitness editor. And he goes, I don't care if you're purple, green, male or female. If you are the best person for the job, you get the job. I got the job. Um, The next thing I know, I'm fitness editor. And then I moved up to director of the website, um, which was really cool because, you know, at that point I was doing journalism, but you're doing marketing hand in hand. You can't run a digital website and not be doing both. So, you know, we were slicing and dicing content and putting it up on social media, putting it on the website, YouTube, we were everywhere. But at the same time, we were also selling products and services. Every piece of content that we created was high quality, education-based, service-filled, but also was pushing a product or a service to someone that we thought they could get value out of. So that was a really cool mix at that point of digital marketing, journalism. And then I was up for a new challenge and hopped over to the SaaS tech industry. And here I am at AWeber, uh, which is a SaaS email marketing platform. It's been around for 20 years. Our founder, Tom Coulter, actually created the email auto responder in 1998. (laughs) So we're like the, yeah, we're like, we're like the OG godfather of the email marketing (laughs) business. So yeah, here I am. I am head of content marketing, but I do a ton of demand gen strategy as well. So driving acquisition, paid advertising, SEO, uh, webinars, all of that fun stuff. So amazing. I love hearing the stories, how people got to where they were and the the skill sets that people gain in order to to direct them into certain ways. And actually, it must have been really nice to have to come from a journalism background, because I've always said a really long time, having worked, I've worked in marketing for 15 years and, and people got marketing and PR confused. And I always used to say to people that sort of came to me and went, can you do PR? I'd be like, it's a really specific thing. And you write in a very specific way. And I can't write like that. Or that's not, not a way I've been taught to write or a way that I do write. So for you to come from that direction where actually the storytelling, the getting to the punchline, the the key messages, the kind of thing that's going to draw someone in is such a good skill in order to then go forward and use that from a marketing point of view. It's it's kind of fascinating, really. And then also the content creation and then luckily doing the sales bit, because as I sat there listening to what you were saying, I was thinking, I wonder what it's like to create content and not have to want to get a sale at the end of it. And yeah. obviously you know, you had that element, which was great because then it gave you all of those skills really, didn't it? So that's awesome. So obviously what we want to talk about today is how we go about these emails. Now we joke that it's old school and lots of people think 
that because social media is here, that we no longer have to do that sort of thing. However, one thing that I teach and one thing that I talk about all the time is that we don't own our social media. We're marketing on borrowed ground. Therefore, if something was to happen to our platform, to if Twitter decided tomorrow they were done or someone, in fact, I have a horrible but very powerful story of someone that I know personally, so I know it's very true, who um, had a huge Instagram following, like hundreds of thousands, and she built her whole business using Instagram. And she'd done a bit of an email list, but it wasn't her priority because she was getting so much traffic and, and so much stuff direct from Instagram, built an online business, selling an online course, and basically someone hacked into her Instagram, wiped it, and it no. went literally overnight. Like oh, all these followers, isn't it? And she said the, the followers were bad enough. Like that was awful enough. However, for her, the thing that really upset her because she was doing a business where she taught people how to be creative with kids and their children. And it was all about, you know, wow. doing these amazing creative activities. So for her, the content that she had produced and had only on Instagram and it went literally, she lost everything. And of course she got in touch with Instagram and not that they don't care. I would never say that publicly, but they're a big company. They deal with big accounts and obviously hers, even though it's big to maybe the rest of us listening to them, you know, she's not Kylie Jenner. So I think if Kylie Jenner had something (laughs) happened, they might help her out, but unfortunately they didn't help her out. And that was it. Like, you know, start from scratch again. So for me, email is so, so important. But of course, one thing I, I, you know, one of the reasons I wanted you on and one of the things I want to talk to you about how we should look at writing our emails is the fact that the open rates are still pretty low. And how do we really make the most of that? How do we really, and I feel like I'm just throwing every question at you all in one go. And I'm just like, right, you go and I'll tell you when to stop. <laughs> but, you know, where do you want to start with this? Where do you want to kind of, you know, what's your, your thoughts in terms of, right, where do we start with this beast of email marketing? Yeah. So it's interesting that you brought up, brought up social media because, you know, people say that to me all the time. Well, I need to focus on social media. I need to, and you know, I will be the first person to say this. Yes. You have to be on social media as a business and as a brand. There's no doubt about that. But to your point, if Zuckerberg decides tomorrow that all of his algorithms are going to change a small percentage will only see your content. Um, it doesn't matter how engaged that audience is. And if they want to see your content, they can't, you have no control over that. And you know, that's, that's a pretty awful way to run a business, which is why I think that you have to be smart about how your distribution channels are working together nowadays. So there's a reason email is old school, but still around. You know, it's still $42 for every dollar spent ROI and 3.9 billion people are projected to use email in the year 2019. And that's only supposed to go up um, next year as well. So- amazing. Yeah, like it's it's old school, but it works, right? And you know, there are ways to drive your social media followers to your email newsletters, to your email list, so that if a platform goes belly up tomorrow or Zuckerberg decides that his algorithm's gonna change and five percent of your social media following ends up seeing your posts, you've yeah. got another solid channel to communicate with them through, and that's through email. And it's funny that you say, you know, open rates fluctuate or they're lower. I was talking to a woman the other day and she's like, yeah, you know, like back in emails, heyday, like back in 2008, 2009, I had a, you know, 40% open rate and now I have an 8% open rate. 
And I was like, huh. And she's like, I think everything's just going into promotions. And I was like, okay. Okay. So I started to dig into her strategy a little bit. And I was like, you know, well, tell me what types of emails you send. And she's an email newsletter for moms. And Mm -hmm. she sends like the top picks of the week and advice every single week. And I go, oh, how are you segmenting your audience? Like, how are you letting your audience choose what they get from you? She's like, well, I don't. They sign up for my list and then I send them the cool picks of the week. Mm-hmm. And I go, yeah, but what if I have a baby and you send cool picks that are for adolescents? And then the next week you're sending them for toddlers. And then the next week you send it for adolescents again. I, that, that's three weeks in a row where I'm not reading your yeah, content. Not interested. And now I'm going to unsubscribe or I'm just going to mark you as spam or I'm just not going to open. So we started to dig into it and I'm like, I don't think that your problem is necessarily going into the promotional tab. I mean, that might be part of it and I can help you with that. But I was like, I think that you need to start segmenting your list and you haven't done it since 2008. Mm -hmm. So this list now you need to one, number one, clean it, purge it, get people off of your list that have not engaged with your content in months. That's number one. That's just good Mm -hmm. list hygiene. Number two, let people choose what content they're getting from you. Ask them on the sign-up form, you know, do you have a baby? Do you have a toddler? Do you have a kid within mm-hmm. this age range? And then send the emails that you're creating around those age groups to those segments of people. Mm-hmm. And then also let them self-select on their journey if their baby becomes a toddler. You know, at the bottom of the email say, is this still the right age range for your child? And if they say, no, my child's now a toddler, they can click toddler. And on the back end of an email marketing platform like AWeber, you get tagged toddler. And now all of a sudden they move over to the toddler campaign. So there's really smart ways to be sending content to people that they want, that they need. Mm. And it's really not that complicated to do it, which is fantastic. And I think that's the thing about technology now compared to when, and I remember years and years ago when I first started doing emails for, well, I was employed by a company then. And I looked at things like constant contact and I remember it being like, oh my Ah. goodness, I've got to do this email. And it it felt massive. Mm -hmm. And literally you just shoved everybody in there and you just sent one email and that was it. And now the beauty of what we have is that we can be so smart. We can do the targeting. We can if we can ask our customers and our prospects in the right way, we can find out which bits are most important to them and which, you know, what they want to hear from us. And oddly enough, you're talking about this and I'm sat here thinking, so my strategy, and we, we've talked before the call, but I'll, I'll just say again. So I, I built an email list and I teach on how to build email lists and I'm very confident about how to get people on your email list. And that's great. So I built this email list from nothing. I started from zero because I had got one side of the business that was an agency. And obviously I got a list for them, but when I wanted to do my own online stuff, they're not the right people. So I hopefully smartly went, well, I can't just move them across because they didn't want to do it themselves. That's why they pay us to do it. So I thought starting from scratch, built my email list, sat on it, like literally collecting it as if I was collecting (laughs) stamps. Like, Oh, I just love looking at how many people I've got on my list. I'll do nothing with you. (laughs) Like I would do their onboarding emails and I would give them the thing they'd asked for. And then that would be it. So I sent them all an email saying, I've been a fool and I should have been emailing you. And if you don't want to hear from me regularly, then absolutely fine. No problem. Unsubscribe. 
If you do, you're going to hear from me every Wednesday. Today is a Wednesday. I've written it. I'm having it proofread as we speak. And then it'll be going out (laughs) at some point today. And I said, I will send you an email every Wednesday and I will give you some value. I will chat to you. I may hopefully might make you laugh occasionally. And it will be very authentic from me. I won't get my copywriter to do it. It'll be me that writes it and it will be something different because although I don't mind receiving, I receive emails from Randy Porterfield and and, um, James Wedmore and they are their emails that say on the podcast is. And I don't mind that as a receiver but for me, I just didn't want to do that because I didn't want to feel like I was repeating myself. So, so yeah, so basically started sending out these emails, but I don't, I don't split the audience at all. And I'm sat here thinking, I was so proud of myself about what I do. <laughs> and then I thought, oh no, I've just messed that up, haven't I? Because I literally yeah. just send the same message to everybody. So, and I think I need to, and I have done an episode on this. Uh, have you heard of a system called Response Suite? response suite. I don't think so. Okay. So they're a UK based company and they have a really cool surveying uh, system that basically plugs into whatever system you're using. So I'm confident that you guys will be on there. And basically what happens is they, you send a survey and first off you can change the thank you page based on their answers. So that was lovely because you could say to someone, what are you struggling with? Or what's the main thing you want to need help with right now? And then if they said, I need help with coming up with list building ideas, then you send them to a thank you page that says, here's a free download on list building or whatever. So that's cool. And then it would tag them in. And at the time I did it, I used Infusionsoft. And interestingly enough, they don't do it with Kajabi. So it's a shame I'm not using them at the moment, but they, it, integrated with Infusionsoft when I work when I was with them not work for them I've never worked for Infusionsoft <laughs> <laughs> I, feel, I feel like I should have like had a glass of wine or something maybe I'd be a bit more on maybe a bottle yeah <laughs> um, yeah maybe maybe we'll be after this call um so um, so yeah and and what happens is it tags them in Infusionsoft and yeah. what other system people are using and I know there's a load of them that are on that list so that's really awesome because you can do it but I did and some people responded However, there's a part of me that thinks, and tell me whether I'm wrong, that because of all the lead magnets I do, and because I do a lot of speaking, I feel like they're only coming on my list if they're my type of audience anyway. And I talk about the same thing all the time, as in roughly, I talk about marketing, social media, digital marketing. So, So am I being a fool or am I just about okay? No, I think you're being hard on yourself because I I really do think you're doing a good job. You mentioned so much about your strategy that I'm like, yep, plus one, plus one, plus one, like great job. So a couple of things that you're doing extremely well that I think are just best practices that everyone should be doing is one, you said this yourself, you're being super authentic, your tone, your voice, it speaks to exactly who you are you know, the way that you're addressing your audience is exactly how you talk in a podcast and how your lead gen sound. It's not a bait and switch, you know, you're not getting them through one channel and then on another channel sounding completely different or stuffy or, you know, that's fantastic. Second of all, you set a foundation of trust with your audience when you tell them, Hey, listen, I haven't been very communicative with you in the past, but I am making it a priority now to email you every Wednesday. And this is what I'm going to send. And, you know, you can opt in to come with me or you can opt out. That's okay. But like, we're going to go on this journey together. And then you stuck to it. 
So, you know, what email is, is a relationship when you think about it. It is building a foundation of trust with your audience from the get-go and then sticking to that. You don't want to break that. If you start emailing them four times a week and they're like, whoa, you told me this journey we were going to talk once a week and now you're calling me more than my mom. Like we need to take a step back here. Um, So you have to build that trust and you have to stick with it. You know, some people use email like they're standing on a stage in front of a room of people, a room of people that they've invited in, people who've decided, okay, I'm going to going to join this room. And then they stand up there with a megaphone and they just bark, you know, they just talk. They're Mm -hmm. like, check out this product, check out this content, check out. And they don't make it a conversation. They don't make it a discussion. They don't involve their audience. And another thing that it sounds like you're doing is you're actually making it a conversation. You're asking your audience what they want from you. And I say, this is like one of my number one things is send a question email at least once a year, if not more often. And it just says, Hey, what am I not giving you that you need? Or what's your biggest challenge this year? Or, you know, if you have a successful business, can you tell me what you wish you had known before you got started? And not only is it good for you to be striking up a conversation with your audience that they feel Mm. like it's a very personal relationship as opposed to you just, again, standing up there with a megaphone. Yeah. It, what it does is it gives you fodder for more content. You could come up with your next, you know, four lead gen ideas. You could come up with your next four blog post ideas, Mm. you know, your next six Instagram ideas from answers that your audience is giving you, you know, you might not know that you're missing the mark and then have six people write back. Like, I just can't figure out how to do this. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. I thought they knew how to do yeah. that, but they don't. Yeah, yeah. Let me let me spin something up real quick for them. So, you know, you could get your next product idea. You could get, you know, or you could build a relationship with people. You might not know someone's on your list and they might write back and all of a sudden you're like, I need you on my podcast. Mm. So, you know, you just never know. And I, I just say to people like, don't be a megaphone, make it a conversation. Sometimes your audience is actually smarter than you. Um, <laughs> and they'll give you the ideas. Yeah. And you're so right because there are some people and you know what? surprises me there are some people in the digital marketing space and in the industry that I am buying from if you like where I'm a consumer who are big big names who literally only email when they're selling yes and it's like why why do you do that and you know what happens now I actually really I'm not going to name and shame but I really like this person but when I get an email into my inbox delete I don't I even look at it anymore because of the fact that it's not, I, it's not enough for me to unsubscribe. It's just the fact that I know you're selling something. And the other thing that is interesting, and I would love to hear your opinion on this. So affiliate marketing is wonderful. Okay. It's, it's a great yeah. tool. I am, you know, I'm not, not an advocate for it. I don't do it personally. However, I use affiliate links. I, I sent out an email talking about, what was it talking Oh, Bonjouro. Do you know Bonjouro? Um, I think I've heard of it. Yeah. So you can send personal videos to people. It's brilliant. Yeah. Check it out. So um, I still don't Bonjouro and I put a link in there and it's an affiliate link. Okay. So it's not that I'm completely averse. However, what happens in the space that we are in is one person, one personal brand, let's say is, is promoting their thing. Okay. So one, they go into email overdrive because while carts open, they are like, boom, 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 hammering you. So not only do you get suddenly a massive influx of emails from them, then what you do is 
their friend there and their friend there and their friend there and their friend there are all affiliates and they start emailing you. But of course, what they're doing is pretty much emailing exactly the same thing because the person selling the thing has very helpfully, and again, I get it, I'm not saying it's not a great strategy or it's not a strategy to use, but of course you end up getting four emails that virtually read the same because they're using a swipe file. And I don't know how you feel about that, but for me on the receiving end, it makes me feel a bit like, that's, that's horrible. It feels lazy, right? Like it's like the, the, you know, the used car salesman who use any tactic to get you to buy. And it just, just doesn't sit right, you know, and we can all see through it. I mean, we're not idiots sitting here on the other side of the inbox. Like, Oh, like, that's funny that they all sent the same message. Like how did that, you know, we're all smart consumers and we see through it, you know, it might work one time. It's not going to work every single time. And after a while, like that tactic becomes totally null and void because everyone will know what's happening. People do this on Instagram too. They use the same swipe files, the same content, the same captions. And, you know, again, as you said, once you get into a circle, all of a sudden you're scrolling through your feed and you're seeing six of the same swipe file photos with the same captions. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Just It's so going back to like what we were talking about a couple minutes ago, just so inauthentic. Yeah. And it's just, there's no real person behind that account anymore. And, you know, you've lost my trust when you do that. And, you know, to the, to the point that you just made that, you know, some people only use email to sell. Mm. One thing I can't stress enough is you have to provide value to your readers first and foremost. I mean, this is like my old school journalist person coming out too, but like, it's a psychological thing when you have a relationship with someone to you know, give them value, bring something to the table without asking for anything in return. And the more value you provide someone, the more likely when you do go and put a solution in front of them, like a product or a service, the more likely they are to be like, you know what, this person helped me with this, 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 and this along the way. I want to pick up what they're putting down. Like I want to buy their product because I'm not only a fan of them, I not only trust them, but they've been helping me. And I feel like the solution is a help now too. And I'm not saying you need to go and create an entire course or a 100 page ebook. I mean, value can be something as simple as you're a thought leader in your industry and you curate six articles that you saw and you write your spin on it, you know, a 300 word, like, here's my thought around this new trend happening. I'm curious what you're thinking of. Here are six articles that I read about it. That saves me if I'm interested in that topic. First of all, now I see you as an authority on the matter. I get your opinion on the matter. And you just save me so much time going to find six articles about it so that I can learn more. Um, That is value, right? And it's 300 words you had to write. That's it. So I think any time you can provide value for people, you know, it's invaluable. So Absolutely. I think, so let's just touch on that a bit more because obviously I've explained the way I write is very much, I sit down and I write it like, and I'm, I'm totally honest. And I tell my audience that I sometimes sit there on a Wednesday and I'm like, what should I talk about today? Because (laughs) it is different content and I don't, and I should batch or not batch as such, but I should plan and I don't. So for instance, today, the day we're recording this is national, um, oh, I'm gone. World's Kindness Day or something. Oh, I didn't and, know that. 
Yeah. And it inspired me in the sense of being kind and doing nice things. And one of the things that I teach in the academy and when I speak and generally is I have this four-step process. I'm digressing. I apologize. Get seen, get emails, get sales, get fans, because people forget once they've actually sold to someone, they're like, great, move on, get another sale. Whereas the fans bit is so important. So I used the thought of being kind, the process that I do in saying, right, here are some tips to give some kindness and some love to your customers. So I wrote like literally about six or eight things, like send them a personal card, use Bonjoro, which is why I thought about it, um, (laughs) to send a personal video, send them a gift card to have a coffee on you, give them a VIP thing or, you know, so all these kind of little things that they could do. So literally I sat there today and thought, what shall I write about? Oh, there you go. I'll do that. So I'm not saying I'm the most ideal way of doing email, but the one thing I get asked all the time is what do I say? So if I'm going to commit every single week to write to my audience and I sell a product or a service or my industry should be so much easier or me should be so much easier because I teach people stuff. So it should be a case of what someone asked me this week, I'll write about that. So one of my Academy members, she makes these amazing gifts keepsake teddy bears so people send her it's so cute and, and we were just talking about that you have children so they send yeah. her their, their baby's clothes once they've grown out of them and she turns their favorite baby's clothes into the most beautiful bears she's stunning she's amazing oh, that is amazing what do you and, and gift yeah, yeah. And also she does things like she makes, and it's all handmade. She's so smart. I don't know how she does it. I am not like that at all. She makes like quilts and things, but again, she gets you to send in all the stuff and, and, you know, create something lovely out of it. So she's just started building her email list. She's doing a really good job. She's doubled it. She went from like about, well, basically not very many to 250 people in a fairly wow. short which is amazing. So what does she talk to them about every single week without just going buy my stuff, buy my stuff, buy my stuff? Yeah. Yeah. That's tough. You know, one thing that if she's on Instagram, if she, is she on social media? So this is one of those, like, I know that you were saying you like to keep email separate as a distribution channel and the content on there. This is one time where I think that literally she can slice and dice her content. Like she can be like, Hey, um, I don't know if you saw my recent three posts, but here are three, like three there's that I made. This is sent, this one was sent to Nebraska, you know, United States. This was sent to, you know, London. This one was sent to, and, um, you know, talk a little bit about that. Then it gets people to your social media channel and vice versa. You know, she could even say like, she could start to talk about, you know, some of the memories behind some of the people's clothing. Like this was a bear. It's made out of a christening ground you know, the, their one month outfit, two month outfit, three month outfit or whatever, yeah. start to tell the stories, you know, testimonials are always great to send out, yeah. you know, and again, she's not directly selling. She's talking about her business, yeah. talking about her, you know, what she's doing, but she's not directly being like, you know, buy, buy a bear, some of your stuff. Yeah. And I, also I, guess t- her, sorry, go I was just going to say storytelling. I mean, if she can talk about the impact that she's making on people, you know, someone who, who was so moved by a gift like that, or someone who had their bear for, you know, decades or something like that, you know, telling those stories is really important too. As humans, we crave stories, you know, it helps us connect the dots to things. It brings out emotional responses. 
So if she can start to weave some of those stories into why she does her business and what it means to people, people yeah. remember that. Yeah, for sure. And I think the other thing that sometimes people are a wee bit fearful of doing, but I, I think it's a great strategy is another part of her business is that she makes bibs and teething rings and all love. And of course they're beautifully done. And like, you know, those tag things, my daughter loved tags. So yeah. like, I, she, I, she never had one of them actually. She just used to like go through clothes and be like, oh no. And then she'd get Aww. another one. And, like, oh. and then she'd find one and she'd be like, yes, I'm having this on, whatever it was. Um, but so for me, it's like, so your audience who are buying the bibs, and this is where her, and she has started looking at how she can split them so she knows who's buying the keepsake things. Although they do still tend to be parents, but they could be grandparents. They could be other family members. But then the people who are buying the bibs and the teething rings, they definitely have the children. So again, why wouldn't she share a weaning story or a story about natural ways to help teething or, you know, things that her audience would be interested with. And granted, it's not selling her product. But if I was that mum, if I was someone who had bought this product and then an email came through and there was all these other additional kind of things that helped me, why yeah. wouldn't I want to read that or look at it or click on it and, and feel like she's a resource to me? Yeah. Or if you're a grandmother and you know that your daughter's you know, baby is going through teething. The mom's been up all night long with the baby for weeks on end. And she gets an email like that from your friend. That's like, Hey, you know, here are some natural remedies for helping teething. Here's some stories I found, you know, by the way, don't forget. We also have this available here. You know, that's a really soft pitch, but it's the perfect solution, right? Yeah. Yeah. Giving them value, giving them a solution. And I think that you know, to your point, if we kind of shift our mindset around, oh, well, then I have nothing to write about. It's like, think about what your audience is going through. Think about that mom who's up all night with her kids. Think about, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're a grandparent, what that gift means, passing it down, stuff like that. And I think that you're actually, you have more content ideas at your fingertips than, than you would ever assume. Yeah. And I think people often think, that they can only talk about the thing that they sell. And what's interesting in a few of my emails is sometimes I will talk about, so I had a classic one and this is one of the emails I got the most responses from, which is odd, right? But basically (laughs) I had gone, and if you're on my email list, you'd have read this, I'm sure. But if you're not, I'd gone to Nashville. I was going to Nashville and I was taking a first class flight. Now I do not pretend for one second I paid for that. It was on points. I fly lots. (laughs) I got it on points because I can assure you, I did not pay 20 grand to go on a plane. That's how much it would have yeah, cost. You and me are coach through and through. <laughs> yeah, honestly, it's like, I don't want to be there. I really do want to be in first, but I can't afford to pay that. Yeah, um, but, so yeah. You're going to enjoy it if you're up there. <laughs> totally. So I was going to Nashville. We were flying first class. My husband and I, I get to the airport, cut a really long story short. I went to check in in first class feeling very excited and my Esther, because we have to have an Esther to come into the country, okay. was on the, was under the wrong name because I changed my passport and oh. I hadn't thought for one second to change my Esther. So I'm stood about four hours before my flight because luckily we went really early because I just wanted to sit and drink champagne for hours <laughs> on end for free. So we sat in, they wouldn't let us go through because obviously they won't. If I haven't got a valid Esther, you can't even check in. 
So she's like, you're just have to apply. It can take up to 72 hours. Oh no. And Esther, like I was like my free champagne. I know. (laughs) Like I was looking forward to this phone. So I was freaking out. And really quickly, I thought, you know what? With all this personal development stuff I've done since having the business, there's nothing I can do about this. I can't control what might happen. I can control how I deal with it. So anyway, that's what I did. I calmed down. And in my head, and I didn't admit this in the email, and I haven't admitted this to many people, so this is coming out now. But in my head, I had dreamt and I had walked through being first class so many times that I couldn't imagine it not coming true. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It was like, no, I'm there. I'm on the plane already. Like, yeah. I'm experiencing it. So yeah, in I've one got way, the blanket on my lap. My feet are yeah, up. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, I had, I had like, played that over in my head so many times oh. that I, I think I'd kind of thought, it's going to happen. Anyway, long story short, the Esther came through within about an hour, which wow. was unbelievable. The woman even was like, you do not know how lucky you are. So anyway, when I, I went to, I was going to write my email when I got through there. And of course, the thing I was going to write about then did not seem relevant. So I wrote about <laughs> this. And really the only moral of the story was I couldn't control what happened, but I could control how I reacted. And that was it. So the entire thing was just a story about me potentially not getting on first. And this is what happened. And it was weird because, yeah, that's nothing to do with me or really what I do. But by this point, I'd written quite a few emails. People were getting to know me. They were getting to know what I was like, you know, and, and the response was immense. Like people were like, oh my God, this time this happened to me and I nearly did this, this. And and because they could relate to what I was saying. And I think I'd written it so honestly from my heart, like, oh my God, man, I nearly, (laughs) (laughs) they could always hear the tears in the email and then the relief at the end. But it was, it was, so relatable, right? Like you told a story that we've all been there, maybe not standing there for first class, but we've all been in that situation where we're, you know, biting our nails and we're angry and we're frustrated and, you know, yeah. things go one way or completely the other. And to your point, it's your attitude and how you face it that really matters at the end of the day, right? Did you handle it with grace or, you yeah. know, did you, did you go to the other side? And, you know, regardless, your story could have gone one of two ways, but yeah, yeah. You know, the fact that you put it out there, we've all been there. And yeah. I see this all the time when it comes to email, like I, I always say, send a story email, whether it's your yeah. own story about, you know, some trials and tribulations that you've gone through, no matter how small, no matter how big, like it'll resonate with a part of your audience and it will just make you seem more human to them. Yeah. And yeah. I love that you turned a situation in an airport into an email because that's what the experts do. They use anecdotes all day long and yeah. they'll send it out. And, you know, sometimes it ties to a product. Other times it doesn't. It's just a touch point with their audience to be like, mm. I'm a real person. Here's a lesson I learned. And let's all learn from it together. And tell me times that you've been stuck in this as well. Again, it's a conversation, right? It feels yeah. like... It feels like I'm sitting next to you on the plane with a glass of champagne, you know, like instead of (laughs) being this person I've never met before on the other side of my inbox, you know? So that's genuinely they they seemed like you know, they were like, oh, I'm so relieved for you. That's so much. And I was really honest, you know, like I said, I, I've told people all along, I got it on points. I didn't pay for it, you know, and, and how excited I was. because I'd never been first class on a plane and, you know, and all this kind of thing. And it was just, like I said, I think in some way, knowing my audience, I knew they would relate. Like I said, it may not be relatable. I'm waiting for a first class plane. It might be, 
yeah, you're right. Actually, I didn't deal with this thing particularly well and I could have done it better because actually yeah. there was nothing I could do about it. Don't get me wrong. I was really calm that day. Today, my daughter's bus was late coming back from school and I was freaking the hell out. Oh. So I don't do it all the time. Sometimes I get really angry, even though That's there's nothing okay. I can do about it. <laughs> We're all human. But the so, one thing, you know, I, I think that you touched upon was not only being relatable, but you did it in a really likable way. You know, you used your own voice, you used your own anecdote. You know, it sounded like it was coming from you. I always say, you might have a list of, say you have a list of 4,000 people, Yeah. right to one person, Yeah. right to Chelsea, who's sitting on the train after a long day at work. She just wants to get home. She opens up your email, write to her, you know, mm-hmm. don't write to 4,000 faceless people, write to one person and write to them. Like you're, they're your best friend and you just want to help them or, you know, you just want to talk to them or you want to tell them a funny story. And it's that likability that gets people coming back over and over again. I don't think you need to be smart or pithy or, you know, whatever it is. I just think that you need to be likable and you need to give them value. And then I think your open rates and I think your results will be that much stronger because of it. Yeah. uh, Yeah. And I, I, and it feels nicer. It feels more authentic. It feels real. It doesn't feel like you're on my list because at some point I'm going to sell to you. Now don't get me wrong. Obviously, we are all in business and we do have things to sell, but I have a, a, a car open scenario. I don't close the car. And that's for one of those reasons. Cause when I have done an open and closed car, I've emailed my list more and I apologize. I literally go, I know it's a Sunday and I promised I wouldn't email you on a Sunday, <laughs> but I do want to tell you about this thing. So please bear with me. And yeah. I give them the option to opt out of that particular thing. So I say to them, if you don't want to hear about the Academy or you don't want to hear about a masterclass or you don't want to hear about a challenge or whatever it is, then just reply. And I promise I will not include you in any of these emails. So again, trying to be really honest and open and and whatever about it. So, okay, let's move on to a few other bits because we've been chatting about that. And it feels like I'm stealing the show. So you're an advocate for a seven email strategy. Can you explain what that is and why we should be doing it? Oh yeah. Well, we, we did cover a lot of them already, I think like throughout this conversation, but I'll run through them pretty quickly. Perfect. Um, but yeah, these are the seven emails that I feel like everyone should be sending, whether they're through broadcasts or if you want to automate them. So everyone who signs up for your list should automatically get a welcome email. Yeah. You know, welcome emails are going to be one of your highest open emails because people have just signed up for your list and they should get it instantaneously. They shouldn't have to wait a week to get it. Um, so make sure you've got that automatic on the back end. You know, when someone signs up, they opt in, they're getting the email. Introduce yourself, start to introduce your tone and your voice, do exactly what you do and set the foundation for how many times they'll hear from you, what they can expect to get from you. And then also if you have a lead magnet, like you said, hey, you know, sign up for my email list and you'll get this checklist. Yeah make sure they get the checklist included in that email. Yeah. Yeah. And then secondly, I would follow up with a story email. So we were just talking a lot about anecdotes. It can be about your background. It can be about how you got started in a business. It could be about a funny story from the other day. But again, I think it's just setting that likability. It's making you feel like a real person to them that you're sitting there at your computer typing, even though it's all done automatically, Mm -hmm. Um, but you're not a robot. You know, uh, you are talking to them one-on-one, sharing a story with them. It can be short. I have people who are like, listen, 
I'm no Jane Austen. I don't want to sit here and write a story to people. And I'm like, cool, shoot a video, shoot a one minute video and send the email and say, Hey, I want to introduce myself and tell you a quick story about how I got started. I think it'll really help you. You know, I would love for you to take a minute and listen and keep the, keep the video short. You know, people aren't going to go sit and watch a movie of you, no matter how cool you are, but you know, keep it short, keep it sweet and give them a little bit more about you. So I think that you should do that. I think that the next email you send should provide more value. Again, it's the whole psychological thing. The more value we give people, the more likely when we eventually put a solution in front of them, they're going to buy it. They're going to purchase it. They're going to tell their friends about it. And what was I going to say about that? Oh, I'll go back. I'll remember it. I hate it when Brady does that. Does it all the time? <laughs> I feel like I have so much I want to say, and I'm like, wait, what was it? <laughs> um, so again, I don't think it needs to be an ebook. I don't think it needs to be an email no. course. I think it just needs to be curated content, your take on something that's happening, um, some things that you've learned since you got started, something like that. Your five most popular blog posts. Yeah. That's value, right? I don't have to go searching. I don't need to figure it out for myself and read ten thousand articles. I can. You've curated them for me right there. Then I think that you should send an agitation email. And what I mean by this is... I was yeah. going to say, a what email? Agitation. So make... Agitation. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is when you want to... You should know what your audience's pain point is, right? Like yeah. what they're coming to you for. What problem keeps them up at night that you can help them solve? Mm-hmm. And this is the email. This is after you've provided value. This is after you've set a foundation with them. This is the email where you kind of want to make them squirm a little bit. You want to remind them of the problem that they came to you for. You want to address it directly and you want to say, hey, I know you're struggling with this. I struggled with this too, you know, and kind of make them rub a little salt in the wound. Mm -hmm. And this email should go out right before you pitch them a product or a solution. Okay. So Amy Porterfield is really, really good at this of Mm -hmm. email marketing made easy she loves agitation emails. Now she's not sending them every day, but whenever she has a product launch, whenever she has a course launch, you'll notice that her email series, usually four or five in, she will send a long agitation email where Mm -hmm. if that's your pain point or your biggest challenge, you're sitting there and you're like, oh yes. Oh yes. She's speaking to me. I hate that. That's exactly what I'm going through right now. And then guess what? She provides the solution she provides and it's her product. And it doesn't feel, this is what I was going to say. It doesn't feel sleazy because what has she done? She's, she's invited me to webinars. She's sent me content. She sent me a downloadable content calendar. You know, I've listened to all of her podcasts. So she's putting a product or a service in front of me, but it doesn't feel like she's been a used car salesman up to this point Mm. because she hasn't tried to sell me every single day. So at this point, I am so excited to take a chance on her product and solution because to me, it's solving a big issue and we have a relationship. So I would say, you know, definitely send that agitation email and then provide the solution, which is your product. And then, you know, some people are going to need a little bit of help making a decision. Some people aren't just going to be like, yep, you know what? I really like you. You're cool. Yes. The blog posts, I'm going to buy. How do I pay? Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> the dream. Yeah, yeah. That's, the dream, that's not going to be everyone. Um, so this is where you want to send the proof email. Testimonials, quotes, case studies, you know, your friend who makes the, the teddy bears and the blankets, yeah. like 
you know, quotes from people who absolutely love their products, you know, five-star reviews, stuff like that. Send proof because at the end of the day, we're social creatures. And if we see other people raving about something, we have intense FOMO, the fear of missing out. And we want to be a part of that social group and it can help us get over the hump in making a decision. Um, So send a proof email. And then the last one is one that we've already talked about is send that question email at the end. Ask people if they like the product, if they didn't, what you could have done better, if they need something else from you, you know, ask them about their biggest challenges for the year 2020 coming up. Just ask them. They'll tell you what they want, which is fantastic because then you don't have to do all the legwork of figuring it out. They will tell you. um, And all you have to do is ask. And I think that's one of the emails that people forget so easy to send, but a lot of people just don't. So yeah, that's kind of the mix of the five to seven emails that I think that you all should be sending. Again, this could happen over a month. This could happen over six months. It just kind of depends on, you know, what you've promised your audience and the relationship that you've built with them and what cadence you feel is right. So I love that. I love some of those different ones that you've given us. The agitation one automatically goes, oh, makes you feel like, oh, no, I don't want to send that because I don't want to upset them. But you're, all you're doing is saying, you're saying, is this the problem you've got? And yep. I'm just thinking back to my, my lovely bear lady. And, you know, the problem I've got that she would solve is that I don't want to throw away some of these lovely, beautiful items of clothing that I remember my daughter in as a baby that I want to keep because... I want to keep that memory when actually I could turn it into something much more useful and lovely than effectively than being sat up in the loft. And ultimately what's going to happen is she's going to grow up. She tells me she's not having children. She asked me once, does it hurt? And I was like, does it hurt? Are you kidding me? Because like, your insides have been ripped out. <laughs> so she's telling me now she's not having children, but she might adopt. Okay. Oh, okay. So, um, she's nine, so, right? She's nine she's years old. Nine. I think she's got a bit of time to change her mind. Making these um, life life decisions now. I get it. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah, she, she could. Pretty much, she's told me their names. She's told oh. me what type of children she's adopting, where from. You know, what ethnicity of children she's adopting. She's got oh. it all sussed. Honestly, she's a go-getter like her mom. She's planning yeah, she's, and, she's you know. Focused. She's, this is it. So, but of course, what's going to happen is I'm going to go, oh, look at all these things you used to wear. And of course, she's probably going to go, no thanks, mom. Because obviously yeah. by then, well, they're probably going to be moth-eaten for starters, mm-hmm. if that's really a thing. But anyway, so, you know, for me, that's my pain point. You know, do I want a whole bin bag full or suitcase full of clothes or do I want something that I can, that's beautiful, that I can give her that she can then, that genuinely she can pass on or then have for a long time. So the pain point, I think sometimes when we think about pain points, we feel like we're going to go, oh, you think you're a failure. Oh, you failed, haven't you? And as if we're like making them feel terrible about themselves. And it's like, it doesn't have to be like that. It's like, you know, that this is the issue that you've got may not be horrendous or awful. It's just, but it is an issue. So, and I fix that issue, which is great. Yeah. Well, for me, it's, I don't yeah. know what <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, there's several avenues she could go there. She could pick out a, like three or four different pain points and be like, you know, does this sound like you? Does this sound like you? Or does this sound like yeah. you? Like, you know, I, I'm the type of person who I don't like to hoard anything. So almost to a fault, I give away oh, no. all my kids stuff the second that they grow out of it. And I'm like, see ya, you know, baby stuff out the door. I love it. I was just telling Teresa when we got on, my husband and I, surprise, just found out we're having a third. And now I have absolutely nothing. Brilliant. Brilliant. Because you've been like, 
get rid of that, 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 they're out of that, gone. We don't even have a high chair. We got nothing. But instead, like it would be really nice to be able to say to my daughter and my son one day, like, hey, mommy got rid of everything of yours. <laughs> but you know Because <laughs> I didn't care. But, I'm yeah, I, I didn't want I didn't want like my house cluttered. Um that's how much it meant. But you know, like I did save this. And it would yes. be great to be able to sit down with them and talk about it. And then one day be able to sit down with grandkids and be like, you know, this, and then make one for them as well. Like just such a love it. Yeah. That's so funny, you know, because I was just assuming that, you know, the people with the pain point, and this is why this is so good. And this is why you should talk to your audience because <laughs> I'm sat here seeing my pain point. I've kept yeah. these clothes. I don't really know what I'm doing with them. And you're sat there with a completely different one in the sense of you don't want that clutter in your house, which yeah. I totally get by the way. And therefore, a something that you could keep. Well, that that you're not. You know, you can before you throw everything out, you can go right. Well, I'll keep that one, that one, that one, and I'll send them off to be made into yeah. a bear rather than keep those clothes. So and then I can that, get rid of everything else. Yeah. I love that. I yeah. love that. That's brilliant. Okay, so a couple of questions I've got written down here. Yeah, that I'm going to throw at you, and interested to see your answers because then it might change the way I answer these questions. In future. <laughs> All right. I, I always love doing this. because It's like, this is what I normally say. Is this correct? Um, <laughs> so length of email. Okay. And mm-hmm. I wanted to bring that up because you brought up Amy Porterfield and she is the queen of long emails. And I have to say, I never intended on sending such long emails as I do, but for some reason I can't keep them. They're not as long as Amy's, but they are longer than I would like. Is there a theory or is it just whatever's comfortable with you? Yeah. So that's a really great question. We actually get that question all the time. So I think there's a couple answers to it. We actually did a big research project last year mm-hmm. where we looked at a hundred email marketing influencers in the space, like people who just can't be beat when it comes to email marketing. And we looked at a thousand emails across the board from all of them. And we found out the averages of what they're doing. Like, What are they all really, really good at? And what we ultimately found is when it came to email length, on average, they were all sending around 430 words, which takes about three minutes to read. Now, again, there's different sides of the spectrum, right? You've got Amy Porterfield, you've got Ann Hanley, who are sending yeah. thousand word emails. And I get and both of those, yeah. Seth Godin on the other side, who's sending a hundred word emails. However, the majority of them are falling right in the middle around 400, 500 words. What I think is fascinating about this is you can be like, all right, if that's what the majority of all of these influencers are doing or these experts in the field, I'm going to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. Great. Or you could look at it and say, you know what? I'm going to do the exact opposite. So I stand out. I'm going to send a long email or I'm going to send a really short email. Same with subject lines. We found the average subject line for um, email marketing experts is around 40 characters, 43 characters to be exact. But if you really want to stand out in the inbox, then send one that's super, super short or send one that's super, super long, right? If everyone else is going around 45 characters, 43 characters, do something different. So you can kind of look at this data a couple different ways. The advice that I always give everyone who asks me this question is test. Test a really long email versus a really short email and see which one you get more engagement on. Which one is driving... Whatever the objective is of your email, if it's to get someone to a web page, if it's to get someone to download something, if it's to get someone to answer a survey, which email got the best engagement? 
And at yeah. the end of the day, that's what matters because that's how your audience is reacting. It doesn't matter what Amy Porterfield's doing. It doesn't matter yeah. what Jenna Kutcher's doing. At the end of the day, what is your audience doing? And, you know, A-B split testing is easier than ever. And platforms like AWeber, you can, yeah. you know, set up two versions and send it to 10% of your audience, each of them. And then whichever one wins, sends it to the remaining 80%. Yeah, um, and you can do that with call to action buttons and images and length of email, subject lines, all of those different factors. So yeah. I would say definitely test, but it's nice to kind of know the average because then it gives you a starting yeah, no, that's good. Right? Yeah, that's really good. And yeah. and the character thing especially is that's interesting for the subject title because again, technically, you only see so much of it anyway. So, yeah. I, you know, I suppose that's obviously a consideration anyway. Yeah, okay. and that's a really good point too, is mobile. A lot of people, we create these emails on our desktop, right? Yeah. And we don't think about the mobile version. And I read a stat the other day, it's like 66% of people are reading emails on their mobile phones. Mm. So you should actually be optimizing your emails for mobile first, desktop yeah. second. Um, so yeah, I think you should make sure that your subject line doesn't get cut off at a weird point in mobile. You know, how are images rendering? I also like to say too, and people think I'm crazy, but keep paragraphs. Like if you're sending a longer email, keep paragraphs to two sentences max. Yeah. And the reason I say two, it's, it feels so weird when you're writing it because you're like, well, this is weird that I'm breaking there's a break, up. This. There's a break, there's a break, yeah. there's a break. Yeah. But on mobile, it mm. looks so much better. It's so much scannable. It's yeah. um, more scannable. It's easier to read. It's easier to consume. You know, I'm not scrolling. I mean, first of all, problems, right? Like scrolling all day. Yeah, yeah, but, email, but it can make a difference. It really does. And if you want people to consume the content that you're writing, make it as digestible as possible. And the best way to do that is to cut up your long paragraphs into two sentences, yeah. three sentence max. But again, it feels really weird as a writer to do that. Yeah, um, sure. Take a paragraph that should all be together and then just start chopping it up. But yeah, um, it does. It, it projects itself so much better on mobile if you do that. Perfect. Okay. Next question. HTML versus text only. Now, let me tell you what I tell people and then you tell me whether I'm right or wrong. So I do text only. The Great. reason I do text only is one, it looks more authentic mm-hmm. because if I was emailing you directly or you're one of my team or you're a client or whatever, then obviously I'm not doing HTML emails to my team to ask them to do something. So one, it looks very authentic. Two, I believe, but this is where I say it really tentatively in case I've been saying the wrong thing, (laughs) it does have an effect on the deliverable rate because a HTML email is spotted a mile off, whereas text only might not be. Is that right still or not? No, that's incorrect. That's actually a huge myth in the industry. We recently, because we got this question all the time. You're not the only person that thought that. In fact, internally, we were like, wait, you know, you've got email experts out there People who are running email marketing platforms being like the data shows HTML gets stuck in spam and plain text does not. Now, just to verify, plain text means that you are not hyperlinking text. You are not including images. You are not bolding content. You are not italicizing content. Oh, okay. Well, that's an eye opener for me because I just assumed because I was typing in an email and not... So when I think of a HTML email, I think uh, someone like a 
big, you know, Amazon, for instance, who've got a header and they've got image and they've got a chunks of section that it's a very designed email. So that I do bold and I italic and I... Then you're uh, sending HTML as well because that takes HTML code to do that. To do that. You're right. Of course it does. So we, we were like, wait, where's all this data that, you know, these email marketing platforms are saying, like, um, you know, we don't, we don't provide HTML email templates because, you know, plain text is better. And we started looking and we're like, there is no data that proves that this that isn't true. So we went to an anti-spam expert. She basically helps businesses avoid the spam, the spam folder. And she's been doing it for decades. And we said, Okay, here you go. Plain text versus HTML. Is there a difference in deliverability? And she said, absolutely not. There is no difference. All that matters is the links that you have inside your email. So if you have blacklisted links inside your email, or if you're, you know, putting an image inside your email that is then linked out to a site with a bad domain you will be faulted and you will end up in the spam folder. And there's more opportunity for that when you're sending in HTML. But that's because, you know, I think the myth comes from a lot of spammers would do that, right? They would put those blacklisted sites behind um, images and behind, you know, they would link, 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 link. And they wanted to get you to sites that did not have good domain reputations. So then they were getting bucketed into spam. But as long as you're sending really good emails to, and whatever links you're sending, you're putting in your yeah. emails, you're fine. You can put as many images as you want in there. It doesn't matter. So, but to your point about it looking more authentic and all of that, I completely agree. Like if your yeah. business is driven by this more personalized look, send a simple HTML email with, you know, only yeah. bolded or italicized text that's fine. Now, if you've got an e-commerce site where you want to show off some products or then, you're launching a new, yeah. yeah, then then go ahead. Or if you want your logo at the top of every email and you want photo at the end of every email, you know, go for a more fancier designed email, but you don't have to worry about if that is going to land in the spam folder more than the inbox anymore. So okay. we'll bust so that where- <laughs> No, and thank you. Cause on, and do you know what, this is why I love doing this, why I love speaking to experts because obviously in my world, you know, doing marketing for a really long time and I learn constantly and I'm constantly learning about every different or as many different things as I can. And you pick up these things and then you say them for a long time. And then yeah. suddenly when you get on a call like this, you go, is that still correct? Am I still saying the right thing? <laughs> you know, because you haven't necessarily had time to go and double check these things. So I love yeah. that. The one question I've got though, which I think my audience will have when they listen to this is how would they know if it was a blacklisted site? I mean, is it as obvious as going, is it a normal, okay, normal website or is there somewhere they can check? Yeah, that's a really good question. And we actually wrote a post about this because again, we were just so confused why so many people were having questions about this. And we came up with, it was one of the things that we asked Laura Atkins, the expert that we, that we um, interviewed. And she said, you can use tools like Cisco's Talos to check Um, I'll link to this. If you can send me that link, I'll make sure that gets in the show notes. Yeah. What I'll do is I'll actually send you the blog post that kind of goes into this whole myth and and how we kind of busted it. And um, yeah, but it's got the tool that you can use. One thing that I forgot to mention too is bit.ly and tiny URL, any kind of link shortener, 
is also more likely to get you into the spam folder. Oh, um, that's so really interesting. Yeah. I mean, you're fine if you're just hyperlinking text or you're doing a call to action button because they're not going to see the long URL anyway. Um, But if you're using pure plain text emails where you can't use a call to action button or you can't hyperlink text because again, that takes HTML Mm. to code, you would have to include the long link. So people might think, oh, well, I don't want to include this long link. I'll use a bit.ly link or a link shortener. And you just shouldn't do that. So yeah. That's great advice. Really, really good advice. Fabulous. Jill, I appreciate your time greatly. I am very aware that we've been chatting because we had quite a chat before we got on. Yeah. <laughs> this, has been, this has been so fun. <laughs> Honestly, I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for your time. I will obviously link up to everything in the show notes. We'll definitely put that blog post in because that's a really, really good one. And thank you so, so much for your advice. I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, this was great. Thank you so much, Teresa. No worries. So wasn't that cool? I really enjoyed that. Lots of good ideas, lots of good advice, some nice tips and strategies that you can use when sending out your emails. And also, I love it when I'd learn something. Like, you know what's really interesting about this and any industry, I guess, is you only know what you know. Now, obviously, my job is to know a lot. And I do think I know a lot when it comes to marketing, digital marketing, social media. However, things change all the time. And or you hear something and you read something and it's the wrong advice. And that's why I guess I do things like the Academy, because you can go out there and you can Google anything. Like we're in a world where literally information is abundant, which is amazing. However, it doesn't always mean it's good information and it doesn't always mean it's correct information. But what's great about doing the podcast is that 95% of the time, unless we're talking about a subject that I really don't know anything about or something that I don't talk a lot about. So Pinterest was a great example of that, that actually I hadn't learned as much as I should have done in terms of that. And when I did the interviews on them quite a while back, I actually learned loads. But some of the things that Jill said that I had had as common misconceptions. So I really love it. Like I said, when I learn something, I'm like, great, awesome. And I'm not afraid either to let you guys know that I don't know everything because like I said, how can you in your business? Really quickly as a side note, just because this has come up, I was talking to um, some people in the academy that want to do more speaking. And obviously I do a lot of speaking and they were like asking me how you manage it and what you do. And they said, what do you do if someone asks a question and you don't know the answer to it? And my advice back is just be honest, just say, I don't know. And as much as obviously we all know a lot about what we do, we can't possibly know everything. And especially in something as fast moving as social media, I mean, Facebook and Instagram and all them, they change their rules and and things all the time. So it can be really difficult to stay up to date with all those changes. Actually, one thing that has helped me has been the Academy because part of that on Facebook Live that I do every month, I give them all the updates. So it makes me go and research what's happened that month, which is really helpful. But but yeah, don't be afraid of sitting there thinking, what if I don't know anything? The thing is, you're going to know way more than most people in that room, for sure. And don't worry that if there's someone trying to catch you out, and I have it all the time, because again, everyone thinks they know a lot about social media, and even the people who don't even work in social media. So I'm just really honest. If I don't know something, I don't know it. And great, every day's a school day. Brilliant. So that's why I loved in the interview so much because I do get things from them, which is perfect. So anyway, just went off on a little one there. Just thought I would mention that while that came up. Okay. So I'm going to leave you to it. Next week is Christmas Eve. I feel like I should have some Christmassy 
sleigh bells going on over the podcast. Obviously, uh, Phil, who edits the podcast, listens to this. So maybe on the Christmas Eve episode, Phil, you might want to check something in. That'd be cool. Okay, I will see you next week. And until then, have a lovely, hopefully not too crazy week. Thank you so much for listening to the Marketing That Converts podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, then I would love it so very much if you were happy enough to head over to iTunes and give me a review. 